There's a classic interview question, what happens when you type a URL into the browser? And to answer this question, we need to explore how the internet works. In this episode, our first of season four, we'll dive into URLs, DNS, basic networking, and how the browser works. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma, and we're debugging the tech industry. Hey, Kelly, have you heard about this cool tool called AWS Amplify? Tell me about it. It's a suite of tools and services that enables developers to build full-stack serverless and cloud-based web and mobile apps. You get to use whichever framework or technology you want on the front end. That sounds cool. Will it help me get up and running with things like hosting? Yeah. Authentication? You betcha. Manage GraphQL? Totally. How about serverless functions, APIs, machine learning, chatbots, file storage? Yes to everything! Amplify is built especially in a way to enable traditionally front-end developers, like yourself, Kelly, to be successful because you can use your existing skill set to build real-world, full-stack apps that in the past would require deep knowledge around back-end, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. The Amplify console also allows you to use a GitHub repository to deploy to a globally available CDN with CI and CD built in. It's super cool. Where can I learn more? If you want to learn more about AWS Amplify, visit aws-amplify.github.io. Vonage is a cloud communications platform that allows developers to integrate voice, video, and messaging into their applications using their communication APIs. Whether you're wanting to build video calls into your app, create a Facebook bot, or build applications on top of programmable phone numbers, you'll have all the tools you need. Formerly known as Nexmo, Vonage has you covered for all API communications projects. Sign up for an account at nexmo.dev ladybug and use promo code LDBUG10 for 10 euros of free credit. Again, that's nexmo.dev ladybug and use code LDBUG10 for 10 euros of free credit. Hi, friends. Hey. Long time no talk. Welcome back to season four. Yeah. We've got new content and some new countries and, and states. Yeah, in new jobs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have lots of new things. Yeah, life has changed. Allie, you go first. What is your? What all has changed with you? Yeah, well, due to the coronavirus, I now live in Chicago with my boyfriend. So that's a big difference between, uh, I feel like at the end of season three, I had just moved to New York. So definitely unexpected. <laughs> but I also moved to working for... AWS at Amazon um, Web Services, and I'm working on the Amplify team as a senior developer advocate, which is really exciting. So I'm learning a ton. I'm still in the first couple weeks of that. That's awesome. Is Blair enjoying her New York City penthouse alone then? No, she's here too. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you didn't leave Blair behind. (laughs) Blair Waldorf in New York City alone. (laughs) Yeah. It fits the story. (laughs) Emma, what about you? What's your life story? So I moved to Stockholm from Germany. So that's been interesting. Uh, I've been here almost two months, I think. Yeah, almost two months. I joined Spotify as a software engineer. So I get to, anytime you're interacting with like the web player, be it the desktop or the mobile web uh, player, I build that. It's been really fun. I've been working on some accessibility and UX things. Um, don't send me your bugs. I seriously have gotten emails from people with bug reports. And also like people will quote tweet and DM me. And I'm like, I, just because you sent this to me, I'm not going to fix it. Like on purpose. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so annoying. And you, Kelly, what's up with you? Uh, you know, everything has changed. I now live in Atlanta. I now run a company <laughs> called The Tap Room. 
literally nothing has changed. I am the same person I was six months ago. I just am still inside my house, living the dream, I guess. I feel like we need to do a road show once life has calmed down and people can safely travel again. Um, I think we should take the show on the road. I agree. I think that'd be super fun. Agreed. All right. So let's kick off this first episode of this season. We're talking about how the internet works. So let's uh, start here. How much do each of us know about the internet? There were crickets in the background in case um, you didn't hear that. Um, I don't know. (laughs) No one answered because it's a hard topic. It's not something that we learn necessarily. Um, I never learned this in school. any new listeners like I went to school for computer science and that's not something they taught me in like computer science school so I never learned about it and the only way I like studied some semblance of how the internet works was for technical interviews um so if you were to ask me like what happens when you type an address into the google search bar and hit enter which is a very common interview question um I can give you like a preschooler's answer (laughs) I think my answer would be it hopefully loads the page if it exists and it's good to load. So I don't know anything about this. I just let the magic happen and hit refresh. Yeah, I think before researching this episode, I could have said, could I explain the request response cycle to you and what happens in each phase of that, but not necessarily all the DNS stuff or anything like that. So I did a lot of research for this episode and now I'm excited to know a little bit more about how that works. Let's just... Before we get into this, there's going to be a shitload of acronyms in this episode. Is that the right word? Acronyms? Yes, it is. Okay, cool. You got it. (laughs) I'm still living in Europe, so I've been losing my English, although everyone in Sweden speaks English. Um, Yeah, I can never remember if it's abbreviation or acronym, but in any case, lots of acronyms that we will define for you in this episode. For sure. All right, Allie, teach us everything. Oh my goodness. That's a lot to ask. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think the first thing that we should talk about are first what servers are because they kind of control a lot of this. And it sounds fancy, but pretty much they're just powerful computers and they are able to host websites. They're like big metal boxes. Like think of a big metal refrigerator with like pizza boxes inside of it because I think that's where all like the things sit inside. Okay, I'm doing a terrible <laughs> job explaining this, but let me... Is there pizza inside the pizza box? I wish, um, but unfortunately it's just like wires and stuff, which is kind of boring. The worst pizza um, ever. <laughs> no, I, my first job straight out of college was working on IBM storage Um, I worked on spectrum control, and given that I was working on enterprise storage systems, I had to work with servers and fabrics and clusters and all these, like, terms floating around, and I had no idea what any of them are. And to be honest, I still don't know what any of them are, and I was there for two years. Um, But I do remember going into the server room, and there were just, like, there were just, like, rows and rows of – basically, if you watch any kind of a movie where there's a hacking scene uh, and they walk into this big room full of big metal boxes – that's essentially like a, what servers look like, right? Like those are servers, right? I'm not an idiot. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. That being said, it's really just a computer. So if you have like an old laptop laying around, you could turn that into a server if you really wanted to. Or you can do like a Raspberry Pi. I know some people who have Raspberry Pi set up to serve their portfolios or whatever. But for the most part, you're going to have these massive computers that are in boxes. And a lot of companies don't even do their own. They use a service like AWS to control their servers for them. 
You're nice. so good Plug. at your job. Yeah, are you listening? <laughs> um, I also want to just voice my disdain for the fact that many terms in programming and computer science are food, and it makes me really hungry all the time. So I'm not a fan. Can we like abolish Raspberry Pi and cookies, please? Because <laughs> I didn't even think of that because it's like pi. But yeah, that makes sense. I had never made that connection until right now. Yeah, it is a food term, but I didn't realize that. Well, there raspberries like a fruit, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But the <laughs> pi, yeah, Bye. nice, cool. So yeah, um, it took me a really long time to conceptualize what a server was, and I honestly, for so long, felt so uncomfortable with the fact that I didn't understand hardware, I didn't understand how the internet works, or anything like that. I didn't understand how the front end connected to the back end. None of it. Um, I didn't know what a REST API was until I was like two years into like my career, like. Okay, I knew what it was. I was aware of it, but like I didn't fully understand it. And so if you're listening and you don't understand any of this stuff too, like I feel you. For sure. You're in good company. So let's talk about this uh, infamous interview question that I have gotten multiple times during technical interviews. And let's, let's, let's like mock an interview right now. So I'm going to ask Allie because Allie researched this episode. So Allie, when you type a URL into your URL bar and you press enter, what happens? Well, first you end up making a request to that server. And again, that server is that fancy computer that we can use to host websites. And then that server is going to give you a response back. And this is known collectively as the request response cycle. And websites are really just combinations of text files. They render HTML with some styling, which is CSS and some interactivity. But that's really all that goes on in that request response cycle. And you'll hear about that a lot when you're learning about APIs for the first time or making an AJAX call because that's what you're doing is you're making a request, but this time instead of typing the URL into the URL bar, you're doing it explicitly within your code. So that's at a high level what's going on, but we're going to dive deeper into this throughout this episode. What does URL stand for? Yeah, so a URL stands for Uniform Resource Locator. And you've seen these all the time, even if you're non-technical, if you teach uh, type like facebook.com or twitter.com into your bar in Chrome, then that's a URL. And it's like an address for a website. Um, and usually these have, a, or pretty much always, these have a domain name attached to them, which is a nickname, something that will make sense to an average user, something like Facebook or Twitter. But it's really masking an IP address, and an IP address is a bunch of numbers that is used to identify that server. And the domain name is easier to type and much prettier than the IP address. Can you imagine if we all used the web just typing in IP addresses to get everywhere? That would be wild. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like phone numbers, right? Like when I was younger and I had the awesome flip phones that I kind of miss, like I had so many people's numbers memorized. I think it's all about chunking, right? Because what what's the format for an IP address? It's uh, 3.2.3.1 characters-ish. Like it's one. Oh yeah. And can we also talk about subdomains for a second? Because is that what they're called? Subdomains like the .com, yes. .dev? Like I didn't know. Those are, those are TLDs, top level domains. <sighs> I always think of it as like too long, didn't read. <laughs> <laughs> Very close. The subdomain goes on front of it. So instead of using www. you'd say like, mycoolwebsite.kelly.com. 
It's a really mm-hmm. bad example. This stuff really confuses shop, me. A lot of a lot of like on the on the e-commerce side of things, uh, you might have a blog on let's say WordPress. So your website is called mywebsite.com, and you want to open up a store to go alongside of it that's not on WordPress. Let's say it's on Shopify. So you put the the the, the store on a subdomain, which would be like shop.mysite.com. Interesting. We have these things called IP addresses. We have these things called domain names. But what is this acronym known as DNS? So DNS lookup is the process that your browser has to go through in order to match up that IP address, all those numbers and such, up to the domain name, which is the human formatted one that we can remember remember pretty easily. So the DNS process looks something like this. First, it checks your browser cache to see if the DNS record is cached for a while. And if you've been to the site before, it might be. If it's not in that local cache on your browser, it'll also check your operating system and your router cache to see if it's there. If it's not in there, then the query is sent to the internet service provider, which you'll often hear as ISP instead of internet service provider, and it's going to run the query in the ISP cache. And if it doesn't find it there, then it's going to look at the DNS servers. And so the first thing that it's going to look at is the root server, which has all of those TLDs, so those top-level domain servers. So these are like the .com, .net, .gov. My personal site is .tel. And each of those TLDs have different roles associated with them, and each one has its own server. And so that top-level root server is going to say, okay, you have a .com domain. We're going to look at the .com server, to try to find that um, domain name, so Facebook or Twitter or whatever your site's name. So it's going to look on that next server, the TLD server for that domain, which then will map your IP address to that full domain name, and you'll be able to hit the actual website. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and I think one episode I want us to link to in the show notes is our system design um, episode, which was the last episode in season three, because by s- separating out the dot coms, the dot devs to different servers, it's essentially partitioning them so that hopefully we're not going to get like misses and whatnot. So if you are interested in learning more about like s- systems architecture, <laughs> um, definitely go check out our systems design interview. It'll teach you a little bit more about how Um, servers and load balancers and all these kinds of things are partitioned, which does actually have to do a lot with the internet and how that works. I think the conversation around TLDs is kind of interesting because you know that you have like the the typical .com, .nets of the world, but you also have country-specific TLDs as well. But I here, based in the U.S., can't go buy a domain that has the TLD of .com.au. Because you have to have like a physical location in that country to be able to purchase that domain. And it varies from country to country. But like I have clients who sell to Australia and they can't have the .com.au domain. They have to use a subdomain for it because they don't have a physical location there. So they can't purchase the domain. Oh, wow. Hmm. It's kind of interesting. That is. That's interesting. Mine is .tel for my portfolio site. And it's for like telecom companies. And... 
they do allow everybody to use them now, but there are some fancy rules with it. And this was a big thing when we, I worked for Dev2 as well. As they had like the .to domain and there was some situation with that being yeah. more difficult. You were just talking about like, oh, I have .tel and I'm sitting here like, why? Like, why would you select that? It At makes first sense. I thought the same thing. I was like, <laughs> that's a really weird one to call out on our notes. But, you know, you do you. Yeah, yeah. Because it's alispit.tel, so it's my full name. I think it's, it's cute. pretty cute. I can't get kellyvon.com. So I'm just, well, it's my Twitter handle. Let's but. all like shame ourselves and let's quickly mention the one single domain that we've purchased that we're most embarrassed slash proud of because mine is it's time for dot wine. <laughs> and like, I haven't, I haven't built anything on it. Um, but the one that I have built on was randomcatgenerator.com. And it was basically like, you just go and click a button and it gives you a new picture of a cat. That's amazing. That's a good one. I own xoxo.dev, which is for a potential side project with one of my friends. And I think that's kind of a cute one. It was a more expensive one, too. So got to use it. Okay. I have a different kind of embarrassing story. Um, when I was younger, let's say I was like 13 years old, my uncle calls me and he says, do you want me to buy you a domain? He's He's been developing websites for a very long time and I'm like sure and he got me kelly.com it was available and I didn't know how domains work at the time and I didn't use it and he didn't renew it and then I lost kelly.com as a domain how cool would it be to have that that would have been amazing that was like your single biggest life mistake I know I I I Hopefully that means I can't do anything worse. Yeah. So well, you'd be like a millionaire now, right? Because there was an era where domain names were like the hot commodity. And I guess to some extent they still are. Um, there are some that go for a lot of money now. But yeah, the people who are the worst are the ones who squat on the domain names and then never let you buy it. They only let you rent a domain. So bad. Um, I couldn't get taproom.com. I could only get the taproom.com. Because taproom.com is only available to, to rent for like $1,000 a month. It was stupid. I think another interesting thing to mention too is that they're still releasing new TLDs. Like .dev came out a year or two ago. There are so many. Like I didn't realize if you go to namecheap.com, which is where I buy all of mine now, um, <laughs> there are an absurd amount of different um what did you call them tlds and you can filter by genre so they have like food ones they have literature ones it's like kind of insane i remember like the fiasco that happened when dot dev became a tld because everyone had mapped dot dev to be their local development uh instead of using just localhost they you can type in like my site dot dev and so if you had that mapped for local development you couldn't access any dot dev websites oh my goodness that's funny Anyway, tangents. <laughs> that was a fun tangent, though. And on topic to some extent. So that's a little bit about how this DNS lookup works, where it looks in a bunch of caches. If it doesn't find the cache, then it traverses this tree of servers to find your actual IP address and then sends the request to your correct IP address for your server. And it's really convenient to have this nice domain name because you can change your server address in the future and it'll still work. So instead of them having to memorize a new IP address because you got a new server, it will still work. Um, so 
you made that request and now you're mapped to the IP address. And that request had more than just the domain name associated with it. It also has the method. So you may have heard of get, post, put, delete. And those are request methods. So those are or HTTP methods. And those specify what type of operation you're trying to do with data, whether you're trying to read that data, you're trying to create new data, edit it, or get rid of it. There's also the path. So instead of just Facebook.com, it could be Facebook.com slash a profile name or Twitter.com slash your profile name. Um, There's also potentially headers with authentication data, the type of data that you want to get back, whether that's JSON or XML or HTML or text. Um, There's a lot that comes with that request. Can I go back on our tangent for just one second? Because I just looked up uh, the who is information for Kelly.com. And I feel like my entire life has been a lie because this domain was, it looks like it was registered in 1993, which means I don't think I ever actually had Kelly.com. An uncle? Oh. <laughs> I oh, think no. I had an uncle. I think, I think that's still the case, but the domain, I am now very confused because I definitely did not ask for a domain name when I was three years old. I mean, maybe I did. But anyway, I just needed to get that out there just in case anyone decided to look it up and be like, you lie. I'm also learning my life is a lie today, too. So. Oh, no. Anyway, Emma, your question. Mine was a little bit more relevant. Um, not to throw too much shade. <laughs> um, okay. No. Um, one question that I've gotten in interviews, too, is the difference between put and post requests, like in the headers. So do either of you know the difference? I've always imagined posts to be creating and put to be updating. Yeah, is it what I thought? Maybe the difference between put and patch. That's another one. I've not. I don't know what patch is. Okay, so put is for overwriting data. So if you want to replace the whole entire information about something, and patch is for only updating one or two fields. Can you tell Allie's a teacher? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, random things. That was a good question, though. I mean, do you know the answer? Was that correct? Or I was looking it up, and there's something about item potent and whatnot. Um, put versus post. Let's Google it. We can learn together. Ready? <laughs> W3 school is coming in for the win here. So <laughs> post is used to send data to a server to create and update a resource. Post requests are never cached. They don't remain in the browser history, which I'm pretty sure that's exactly what cached means, right? I guess I could refer to this server too, but like, all right, W3 schools um, can't be bookmarked. They have no restrictions on data length. Put is used to send data to a server to create and update a resource. Wait, that's exactly the same definition. (laughs) Okay. All I've learned from this is don't use W3 schools. (laughs) There is, I I reached stack overflow at this point, but I don't think this is going to help either. Well, are you going to tell us? I see. Okay. So this says post is used to create, put is used to create or replace. Yeah, I thought, I've always thought that put is for replacing data that's already in there. Both can be used for creating. You have to ask, what are you performing the action to, to distinguish what you should be using? And then it has a really long description that I'm not going to read out here, but I just use Stack Overflow to answer the question. So look, I'm a developer. There you go. Should we also talk about HTTP and HTTPS and all that? No, I don't think it's that relevant. <laughs> okay. But then we can pass. 
Cool. I was going to make an insecurity joke about it, but I decided not to. <laughs> For the listeners, HTTP, HTTPS, there's also alternatives like FTP. It's the protocol to use. And the protocol is the set of rules that your browsers will use to make that request. And the S on there for HTTP is secure or safe. Is it secure? Yeah, it's secure. Secure. Okay, good. I second guess myself. I don't know why they even offer non-secure anymore. Like, honestly, why is that even a it's thing? It's so easy to get a certificate. But I think it's like, it's so some some things will handle it for you. I think Squarespace handles it for you. Shopify handles it for you. Like a lot of those uh, web builders, software as a service kind of platforms do it for you. But if you're still self-hosting, you have to get your own. But I mean, I'm blanking on the name of the certificate. It's it's free. Doesn't Chrome not allow you to do real HTTP anymore or, or it like gives you this warning like it's insecure? It gives you, yeah, and you have to click through, yeah. But there's also SSH, which I feel like I've used and like still don't fully understand it. It's a, so basically SSH is a secure shell, which is really hard for me to say uh, right now. <laughs> secure shell, I'll say that really fast. Um, it's a cryptographic network protocol for operating network services securely over an unsecured network. So maybe this is where I don't know. I'm just sh- shooting in the dark, but I don't know. Maybe this is like if you don't have a secure network, like no HTTPS. Connection. I don't know. They're so different. Oh my god, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for all the replies we're going to get about SSH. Yeah, usually you use SSH, at least in my experience, to connect to a remote server, so you can. I don't know. Yeah. So that's what the hackers use in all the movies. Like, I got SSH into the server. I remember early on in my development days where I had to use FTP for everything for changing and uploading files to my website. Throwback. Perfect. And you can explain what it is. I guess like file transfer protocol. Yeah. There's also SFTP for the secure version of it as well. And I just remember being in college and like I had like FileZilla or what was – Yep. Like there was a yellow duck one too. Um, Cyberduck. Cyberduck. So (laughs) cute. Um, And like you would literally just drag your files to like your server and that's how I got all of my websites up and running. But now like we have things like stack site generators and um, things like that, which I use more often. But yeah, that used to be the good old days. It's – still probably the reality for people but yeah well it's, it's yeah. i don't think we ever said what http stands for either so it's hypertext transfer protocol right so yeah. i thought we should just say that because we're saying all the other ones and i realized i had not said that so you were <laughs> it's okay you said what does http stand for and i was like html <laughs> we could do this <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, speaking of really complex um, acronyms, acronyms? Yeah, I'm going to do this every time. Um, <laughs> let's talk about TCPIP because this is a very important one. Also, okay, this is a very small tangent, but it's very important because moving to Sweden, what I have noticed is that they don't spell out their acronyms. They pronounce them. And so, like, I was ordering Uber Eats one night, and there's this grocery store chain that is three letters. It's I-C-A. I assume it's, like, the international grocery association kind of a thing grocery (laughs) and i was talking to this uber driver and i'm like yeah i'm outside the ica and he rolls up and he's like where are you from and i was like new york and he was like we don't say that here we say ica (laughs) and i noticed this again when i was at the bar and people were ordering ipas or india pale ales and they would say ipa i need an ipa (laughs) so i'm just like imagine if we had to pronounce all of these acronyms like (laughs) to (laughs) 
I, my, my personal favorite one, though, is shh. <laughs> so that's what we're going to say to all of the reply guys in the comments to this episode. But these <laughs> girls don't know what they're talking about. Um, okay, TCPIP. So this is stands for the Transmission Control Protocol slash Internet Protocol. And it specifies how data is exchanged over the internet by providing end-to-end communications that identify how it should be broken into packets, addressed, transmitted, routed, and received. And that's a mouthful, but I watched this video once. Maybe we can link it in the show notes if we can find it. And it talked about how TCP IP, you can think of that as your UPS driver if you live in the US or they have UPS in Europe, where you order, let's say, one big order from IKEA, (laughs) you know, because I live in Sweden, and it comes in like a bunch of different, let's say four different shipments. Well, TCPIP is like the delivery driver. It really, they make sure that all of your packages will get to your house, even though they're not set at the same time. Um, And that's, yeah, that's the responsibility. Um, And that's how I've always thought of TCPIP. And so I think that links into the response. So we talked a little bit about the request, and the request has a bunch of information associated with it in addition to the address. But then the server needs to process that request, and usually you'll have a backend written out that has a controller function that receives certain data, and then it decides what data to send back to the browser or the client. And so we send back a response and that response has first a status line with a status code. So you may have seen like 400, 404, 500. I'm a teapot. 200, teapot. And then it also has data. So if it's a 200, that means it's a good request. You are getting a response back. It's like a 400, that means usually user error. So 404 means that you went to a page that doesn't exist, for example. 500 means that there's a server error, so the programmer usually did something wrong. Um, That never happens, though. Never happens. Who does that? 300s are redirects, I believe. Yep. 301 is permanent. 302 is temporary. There you go. And so has that status line, the status code, and then the data, and usually there's HTML and other resources, text files, and the browser will have to parse and render that HTML content. Let's give it in the response. And I think that that links into the packets. That's what's sent. Noise, noise. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot that this browser has to do. It's kind of a big deal. Oh my goodness. The browser has to do so much. I feel like we way undervalue the browser. At least that's my personal opinion. I don't, I don't know why. Just for them. brave. Sorry, I was I just, just being all the reply guys. I just want them to implement colors the same way. I'm so peeved every time I... I haven't used the word peeved in years. I'm so peeved every time I like pull up a side-by-side of Firefox and Chrome and they have different colors like visually. bothers me. Whoa. You didn't know that? Like Differences. Yeah. It's so annoying. Ever so slight differences, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's very annoying. Yeah. But speaking of web browsers, finally no longer supporting IE11. Exciting. Like the world or you? Microsoft. Oh, I gave, they I gave up it? on Yeah, they, they have officially no, they officially have like an end of life date for supporting IE eleven. Let's see what it said. It's a little sad. Seriously? Like I mean, like, I'm what, the end of an era that is the most frustrating bane of every developer's existence? I mean, I never supported it anyway, but <laughs> it's been dead well, to me for fair. years. 
It's it's very frustrating as a JavaScript developer if you have to still support IE 11 because it does not like ES 6. So you have to only use ES 5 if you're going to. I'm sorry. That came out five years ago. Get your shit together. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is... Teams, the Teams web app stopped supporting IE 11 November 30th. All remaining Microsoft 365 apps and services will no longer support IE 11 beginning August 17th, 2021. Oh, it's still a year away, though. Are you, I don't care. We have a deadline <laughs> and there's a date. So I can be like, hey, clients, no, we're not supporting IE 11 because Microsoft doesn't support it. I'm sorry, who... I guess, okay, that was kind of naive of me to say who still uses it because I guess there are definitely people... Um, who can't upgrade hardware, Businesses software, in particular? Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, we're seeing like I mean, it very it definitely varies from client to client. We have gotten some screenshots from clients that look like they're still using like IE nine, um, which is a whole thing. But I mean, we see usage at like less than two percent of traffic, less than one percent usually on IE eleven. So I don't like wasting too much time. That's wild. Um, One thing we, like, didn't talk about, um, and I'm totally going, like, off the rails here, but I think this is important. Shocker. (laughs) So, yeah, we didn't really talk much about how the internet was created, how it got so popular, what it was originally intended for. Um, And Kelly had mentioned this kind of in a sidebar that it was originally intended for military purposes, which totally makes a lot of sense. But I do think it's important to note that if I'm not mistaken, it was actually the porn industry that got the internet um, off the ground, essentially. Like, it, that really streamlined the usage of the internet and the development of the internet. Um, I know that Honeypot IO, who does all of these amazing documentaries, they were just here with me, actually, a few days ago. And they, uh, my filmmaker, Guillermo, was talking about how they're working on uh, a video project discussing this history of the internet as it relates to the porn industry. And it's very interesting. And um, I just think that's really fascinating how one taboo industry can, is like, it's solely responsible for the internet really taking off. And we don't talk about that. It's not something we're taught. Obviously, I went to like a Catholic college, so I don't think they would have taught that. Um, but I do think that's an important thing to mention. I think it's also important to mention that it, when you know people talk about Tim Berners-Lee inventing the internet, he did not invent the internet. He invented the World Wide Web, which is it utilizes the internet, but the the uh, the engineering of the actual internet itself was it, it predates Tim Berners-Lee. So all these things that we've discussed. How important is it to know any of this for a job interview? Oh, I was just going to say, I don't think it's important to walk in an, into an interview knowing that, like, the porn industry got the internet up and running. Um, but I would say, like, I have been asked multiple times, explain to me how the internet works or what happens when you type an address into a bar and press enter. And I've been asked directly, what is TCPIP? What does that do? What is, a dom- like, a top-level domain? Things like that. Um, I would highly recommend knowing the basics. And I think... Anything that we addressed in this episode, I think, is important to, at a high level understand. Yeah, I think the request response cycle and knowing it at a high level is probably the most important thing of just being like, yeah, when you type it in, it makes a request. And then your server processes that request and sends back a response. 
I'll be honest, though. I've never asked this in, a, in an interview. So I've never been asked it either, but you Google it and it feels like there's 85 blog posts about this interview question. So I've been asked it multiple times. So yeah, I would just, I would say you should definitely be aware of this if you're applying for a full stack or a front end dev role or like any tech coding role. <laughs> okay. So we talked a lot about how the internet works. If you're new here, we like to end each of our episodes with a shout out for something that we liked in the past week or just something in general we want to shout out. So Emma, you go first. What's your shout out this week? So my shout out this week is to all of my amazing coworkers that I've met in the past two months at Spotify. Everyone's been super, super welcoming, very helpful. It's really nice that we have this like open call policy where if it's during the workday and you need help, especially being remote and onboarding remotely, if you need help, you can just at any time like start a, like a Slack call with someone and they'll pair program with you. So I just wanted to just shout out my new coworkers. What about you, Allie? I'm going to just jump on that bandwagon and see the same. It's been really great to move on to AWS and my Amplify team on there. I've had a lot of fun Ooh. so far and I'm just starting, but it's been amazing. So I'm just going to copy you. It's okay. Kelly, how are your new coworkers? Oh, my new coworkers are great. So kind of funny, I am speaking at a conference pretty soon here. And when they listed the announcement that I'm one of the speakers, they put me down as co-founder of the tap room. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'm getting a co-founder. <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> oh, my god. That's goodness. a little offensive. Yeah. I was I'm sure I was just done in error so no no harm but no I mean my my team's been growing pretty quickly and I'm really excited and we've been bringing in a lot of really great people and the, our most recent hires or just any of our hires really have been phenomenal in balancing like our our workload and only the new hires clients. have been fantastic oh, the old people That's just... why I wanted to clarify I love all of my team <laughs> Awesome so if you like this episode, please tweet about it. We'd love to read your feedback. And we'll be giving away three copies of Julia Evans's How Does the Internet Work, which is an illustrated digital zine, and it's a lot of fun and very informative. We post new podcasts every single Monday, so make sure to subscribe to be notified and leave us a review.